Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. Uh, my name is Clay Wright, and it's great to be back here with you. I'm sitting here across the room from Pastor Jim. Hey, who's Clay. back with us. And, uh, hey, our listeners. Uh, how are you doing, Pastor Jim? I'm good. I, actually, I'm a little bit tired right now. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, early morning, and so, uh, but I'm, I'm I'm happy to talk to you and happy to talk about the text. I do. Yes, I am as well. I'm I'm also a little bit tired, but it's for a reason that you'll enjoy, which is that <laughs> I did not have any coffee today. Oh, good so. for you! You're becoming more like Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I I was in the store. <laughs> yesterday and I was reaching for a Red Bull and, and a person that I knew from Erie Island Coffee came up to me and said, you don't want that. I promise you, you don't want that. And I, I was like, okay, fine. You're right. You're right. Um, but anyhow, yeah. So we're not here to talk about caffeine. Uh, probably. I mean, it could, who knows, who knows, but, uh, like you said, we're here to talk about the text and to talk about, um, the conversation that we started on Sunday, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the first piece that I wanted to pick up from Sunday that made it into the text or into the sermon uh, has to do with the way that you started the sermon, which mm. is this uh, article that you read. Yeah. Uh, normally you don't like, you know, you're not a preacher who reads from extensive notes. Right, right. And so, and yet you had this piece of paper with you that you were reading. Could you tell us more about that powerful uh, piece that you read, or was it an article? I'm, yeah. I, I, I'm not even sure, but uh, it was a, it was an email blog. Um, gotcha. or, or not an email blog, a blog um, uh, by a woman named Meredith Ethington. Okay. Uh, her her website is Perfection Pending, and so it's it's to moms. But uh, I was just goofing around on on Google, and I typed in um, f- uh, f- battles mom's face i think something like that mm. and uh there was a, some things that came up and i was just struck by she's a good writer uh and struck by her perspective and at first i was going to just summarize what she said but i was just so captivated by her writing that i i ended up reading although i did add some stuff i added like, like the, the 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 mom that misses that it has empty nester who misses her kids because the house was so full of, of joy and now mm. it's quiet yeah and things yeah. like that i added a few things here and there but i thought she's she's a good writer and um so yeah that's and i also took out a bunch of stuff because it wasn't it was too much to read everything sure but um yeah i think that i heard people sniffling when i was reading i'm like okay it's <laughs> this is this is uh impacting some some yeah. moms probably <laughs> yeah and, and obviously you know in case you're listening to this podcast out of context it was mother's day on sunday right, right. which i found this out i think last year around mother's day when we were doing our planning that mother's day and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but began as, as a church thing. Like it, it's, is it Christian? A church lady. Okay. Um, a, a church, a church woman. Yeah. But it wasn't the church who sort of began this I, practice of honoring. I think so. Yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think and, you're right about that. And I think, and of course now it's a national holiday, but I, I, I love uh, Mother's Day cause I love my mom, but mm. I also love the fact that as a church, we can take a moment and pause and honor. Yeah the women that God has placed in our life. Amen. In in life group. Amen. Um, the other night we were talking about 
we were sort of remembering the uh, Discipling the Next Generation series and thinking about how God has given parents with with purpose. Uh, and so no doubt uh, we can be we can be grateful. But um, so, so we are uh, continuing our, our conversation in the book of Luke. And so we've just finished up Jesus's temptations in the wilderness. So last week, Pastor Jason preached over the, the third and final temptation. Well, not final, the third temptation <laughs> at that moment until an opportune time. Very good. <laughs> Verse 13. And, uh, and then now we see Jesus, uh, returning to Nazareth, mm-hmm. uh, uh, full of the power of the, of the Holy spirit, which, yeah. uh, we'll get into more n- next week. That's right. Um, but, uh, as we get into the text, can you tell us a little bit more about your approach to the text this week? Yeah, it was, uh, that's actually a great question because it was unique. Um, uh, actually I started, you know, looking at this as a mother's day sermon months ago when I was writing the preaching calendar and my plan was to preach, uh, I, I looked at the text initially, and I just didn't see anything referring to any moms. And so I'm like, okay, there's nothing. This is going to be one of those times where I'll just pause, and I'll find a text somewhere in the Bible about mothers and let the Holy Spirit lead that way. And um, and but as I was, you know, reading the text, looking, working on some other sermons a couple months ago, I was just struck, and I I think this is the Holy Spirit. Mm. I was struck by the phrase. He went back to Nazareth, where he grew up, and I thought, "Hey, well, that's that's mom. That's where that's where mom is." And I, the story I told about the first time I went home from college, that thought struck me a couple of months ago. <laughs> I remember going home for the first time, yeah. and in a matter of seconds, I'm like, "Ooh, Holy Spirit! This is this could be a cool Mother's Day sermon." Yeah. Uh, and and so the more I thought about that, uh, then I was struck by Joseph's name being mentioned. And Mary's name not being mentioned. Now, uh, in um, oh shoot, I lost it now. Is it? I can't remember whether it's Matthew, Mark, or John. <laughs> Obviously, it's not Luke. One of the other gospel writers um, uh, uh, yeah, it's Matthew. It's Matthew thirteen. Uh, he records this story of Jesus going to his hometown. But just listen to. The, the fact that it's in Matthew 13. We're, that's 13 chapters. Yeah. And whereas in Luke, we're in chapter 4. Mm-hmm. So there's several things to be said here. Number one, Matthew is more, is more chronological. And so uh, if you look, let's pull the types open. There's a bunch of thoughts crossing my mind at the same time here. I don't know. Did you hear what I just said? I just pulled my face away from the mic. There's a couple of thoughts crossing my mind here at the same time. So I want to get them out. But if you look at our text, verse 15, um, uh, he was teaching in their synagogues, that is the synagogues of Galilee, and everyone praised him. Um, it's interesting, and some of the commentaries talk about how this was Jesus's first sermon. And it's like they ignore verse 15. Mm. It's so convenient. You know, how do you, but how do you miss verse 15? He's teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Well, how long was that? Uh, well, if you look at Matthew's account, you can see that Matthew records a lot of this teaching yeah. in Capernaum and if you, and if you, in other places. So if you look down mm. in the sermon that Jesus is preaching here in Luke 4, um, it, it says in verse 23, do uh, you may tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. 
Yeah. So those commentators that say this is Jesus starting his ministry, they're ignoring verse 23, or those preachers that say this, and they're ignoring verse 15, because clearly Jesus had at least preached in Capernaum, but verse 15 says he was preaching all around. So Luke, so Matthew records that, and so when he gets to the story of Jesus coming to his hometown to preach, it's after lots of healings, lots of demon exorcisms, lots of teaching, lots of preaching, the whole Sermon on the Mount, you know, all the yeah. way up into chapter 13 of, of Matthew. And um, so... As you know, Matthew tells the story, and do you have Matthew up by chance? I can pull it up, yeah. Um, I'll pull it up too. Yeah, verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began to teach the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. And they say the same thing that they said in Luke 4. Where did this man get this wisdom and this miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this, Mar- Isn't this his mother's name, Mary? And aren't his brothers James and Joseph? By the way, that's my that's my name, James Joseph. And that's my middle name is Joseph. So whenever oh, I, I whenever I read that, I'm like, hey, James Joseph. Is that is that where my parents got my name? <laughs> um, and aren't these aren't his sisters with us? Where did this man get the things? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said, "A prophet is not without honor except in his own town." That's the same. It's the same passage as Luke four. Yeah, clearly, mm-hmm. it's that Matthew is doing it more chronologically. He's left. Uh, he's included all the places Jesus taught. Plus, he also adds, "Isn't this? Uh, isn't his mother's name Mary?" So obviously, and uh, oddly, he, Matthew does not mention Joseph's name. He says, "Isn't he the carpenter's son?" Yeah. So that in, that leads me to also believe that that you know Joseph is dead by now. He's not referred to by name. He's oh, he's the carpenter. Uh, and the carpenter's son. So, you know, all that's happening. And I'm like, oh, you know, Mary is mentioned in Matthew, but she's not mentioned in Luke. And how interesting, because that's just the way, and I just, I remember thinking, that's just the way moms are. They're in the background. And already my first point was just kind of starting to formulate, you know, two months ago, Mm -hmm. that I'm going to preach a sermon from a text that doesn't mention Mary, but is about Mary. Oh, that's going to be fun. And I remember being kind of like, this is going to be a different approach. Sure. But that's how it all kind of unfolded. Uh, I, I really wasn't working hard on the sermon. I was praying through the text, thinking about what I, what I might preach, and these ideas just came. So sure. then two months later, when I you know started digging in to write the sermon, you know, I came back to that and was like, "Oh, I, lo- I love this. This is this is going to be a unique approach." And part of the uniqueness is that you know I'm always talking about, um, you know, like when I teach uh, our staff how to preach. Um, right now, you you know, you're in the class. Yep. You don't need any help because you're a great preacher already. But um, <laughs> but I'm trying to help anybody in our class and our staff who who wants to be a teacher or a preacher, who wants to learn how to do that. So our staff is going through this. I'm taking them through this extra, these exercises. And I have been emphasizing, you know, let's be preachers and teachers that exposit the text. What does the text say? Instead of, you know, bringing a, a sermon idea and saying, where can I find a text that will support what I want to say? Let's mm-hmm. inductively draw the points from the text. Right. And so in, in, in some respect, you might say, I didn't do that this week because Mary's not mentioned in Luke 4. And so what am I doing preaching a sermon about Mary and she's not even in the text? 
and of course, the reason I gave in the sermon was that because it's such, this is such a great um, illustration of the way moms often are. Mm-hmm. They're in the background, you know, and obviously there would be no Jesus of Nazareth if there wasn't a Mary of Nazareth, you know. Yeah. So you know, clearly we know she exists. Luke has talked about her. And Luke told, last time we heard Mary's name, she was in Nazareth. Mm-hmm. And so I, I told you I didn't leave a whole lot on the cutting floor. I just remembered something I did leave. I was going to do a, a more of a chronological um, uh, approach of when was the last time we heard this, the town Nazareth? Okay, it was back in chapter 2. When was the last time we heard the name Mary? Okay, it was back in chapter 2. Verse forty one and verse two, uh, forty two of chapter two. So I, d- I did forget. I did leave that on the cutting room sure, floor. Sure. He just ran out of time. And um, uh, so, I, and I, the reason I was going to do that is because I was going to kind of prove that you know we know that Mary's there in Nazareth. That's because that's the last place that that Luke left her. And even though her name is not in the text here, you know we know that she's in Nazareth. Sure. Um, and um, so, so I just I started having some fun with preaching a sermon about a person who is so in the background that her name is not even in the text, even though previous texts mentioned her in that town and comparative texts. Right. Matthew 13, for example, mentions her directly by name. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, and the, and the other thing, kind of fun. the other interesting, yeah, it's, I, it'll be really, I'm really curious to see over the course of my ministry, uh, how much the chosen is going to impact the way that people <laughs> preach the gospels? Yeah, it's definitely influenced me because <laughs> because it. I mean, it's the so I, I think so. The message translate or the message paraphrase of the Bible, uh-huh. which is a really popular paraphrase, uh-huh. has you know done great work in helping people understand and think about and imagine scripture mm-hmm. other you know the passion of the christ has done great work in mm-hmm. helping people to understand and imagine uh and recover some of the brutality of the crucifixion of jesus mm-hmm. and i think you know obviously we wouldn't say that uh the chosen is scripture but it's very it's it's an imaginative um, commentary of sorts, right? It's definitely, you know, it's not an exegetical commentary, right? But you know, it's not, it's not going line by line through the text. Like in some so, places it is, but, it, right. but there's a fair amount of freedom and, and they've gotten some criticism for that. Yes. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and yet I think, um, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how s- different people approach the Bible mm-hmm. because we, I think some people approach the Bible in ways that, um, don't reflect the fact that these are real things that happened. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and so as you're sort of imagining Jesus going home, I think it's totally valid to assume, um, Mary was probably there. Right. And, sure. and there's no, there's no reason to really believe otherwise. And the scholars that are at work on the chosen series have made the same, you know, have come to the same conclusion 
probably for some of the same reasons that you're describing because of the comparative texts, because of the other references. Sure. Uh, yeah. We, and we could, if this was later in Jesus's ministry, we could argue that, that it's possible that Mary was in Jerusalem because she spent more time in Jerusalem towards the end of Jesus's ministry. Mm. But that's because Jesus spent more time in Jerusalem towards the end of his ministry. Right. Um, uh, but this story is not from the end of his ministry. This story is in, within the first year of his ministry. Yeah. If you, again, if you look at Matthew's chronology, uh, even though it's chapter 13, it's probably within the first year, year and a half of his ministry. Right. Um, so back to, back to, you know, I was, uh, I, I wasn't drawing points from the, the pericope. Let's define what that word means. Pericope is a fancy word to describe <laughs> a preaching text, a preaching paragraph. Yeah. And so you have to choose, am I going to preach on five verses, two verses, one verse, 10 verses? What's the, what's the, the, the section that I'm going to preach? We call that a preaching pericope. And so, you know, my, my sermon points didn't come from my preaching pericope, but they did come from the, the Bible, from the text. Mm. But the other thing is, is you and I were talking earlier about this idea of imagination is that I've tried to teach our student, our staff, when you study the Bible, put yourself in the setting. Yeah. So the classic example I use is if, you know, when you get to John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you know, you're the, you're the branches. You know, go, when I take people to Israel, I take them to a vineyard and we stand in the vineyard. And I, I, I tell them, you know, grab a, a branch, grab you know, a bunch of grapes and mm. the fruit of the vine. And so you're standing right in the setting that Jesus was using. And of course, that's the whole point of all the Israel trips and the Greece trips is we're going to the original setting. But if people have never been to Greece or never been to Israel, I invite them to try to imagine the best you can, you know, the wedding in John chapter two. Well, you've been to a wedding before mm-hmm. and now you're probably going to be wrong about some things because the weddings in, in, in America in 2023 are very, very different. But if you want to do some research, you can do some research into Jewish weddings. Sure. But as much as possible, whenever, you know, let's go to the Old Testament, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. Imagine yourself uh, out with sheep. Imagine yourself outside, mm. you know, and and there's a shepherd's rod and a, a shepherd's staff. And this is a, a very legitimate and uh, powerful way to open the text is to use your imagination to place yourself in the text. So that's what we did. Yeah. We placed ourselves in Nazareth as Jesus returned there. Even the word return is, a, is an indication. He's coming. He's, he was there before. Now he's coming back. And uh, we know Mary's there. And so we just used biblical imagination, biblically informed, that's yeah. a good way of saying it, biblically informed imagination. Right. Now, when I say that, I probably should be careful. There are people who who uh, used such wild imagination that they, you know, unbiblically read things into the text that there's no warrant whatsoever for you imagining that being there. And someone could accuse me of doing that. I think I can give a a good biblical defense. I just started from Matthew 13 to show why I think this is biblically informed imagination. Yeah. And and I think another, another thing that, um, I often think about that you've taught us to think about as we're th- thinking about preaching is, you know, sort of the, the, 
and this is as as almost like a it can be like a safeguard as you're learning to teach and preach but you want to focus on the main point of the text mm-hmm. right and yeah and that's true and that's sort of like that's a great principle to aim for mm-hmm. however that's not the only way to approach a text that's not the only way to preach biblically that's something that i've i have learned a lot because <laughs> What's funny is if you if you're always trying to teach the main point of the text and then you have a you bring a certain lens to the scriptures which mine you know my lens has a lot to do with the gospel and trying to see Jesus in the text trying to see how God is revealing himself through Jesus mm-hmm. I end up preaching really similar sermons <laughs> because in every in every text I'm I'm trying to ask how does this how, how does this point to my need for Jesus yeah. and how he's the solution to my need? Yeah. Uh, and, and so uh, there's, and and yet there's so much that the Bible wants to say uh, that supports that, that provides really practical help in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. And yet if I'm so dead set on, no, I'm only going to teach about, you know, I'm only going to preach the gospel, you know, closely defined as the death and resurrection of Jesus for our sins. Mm-hmm. Then I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting some things really right. And as a, <laughs> as a student, yeah. that's maybe really helpful, right. As a young preacher. Um, but you know, over the course of my ministry, I hope I'm able to preach, uh, other kinds of sermons. <laughs> yeah, so, so especially if you were like, you know, f- like for me, the, my first pastorate, I was the only preacher. Mm-hmm. I, I preached every Sunday morning, every Sunday night and yeah. every Wednesday night. And so if you're listening to me preach every sermon uh, every week, three sermons a week, and every sermon I'm trying to get the gospel uh, in and the, the Christocentricity of the gospel, I think there would be a sense in which, okay, I'm getting tired of hearing the same sermon every week. Mm. Um, so there are people that say, you know, we, we our preaching needs to be gospel gospel centric. Uh, I I like to argue with that a little bit, and I think uh, every sermon needs to be Christocentric. Mm. And then you could say, well, isn't the gospel Christocentric? Yes, the gospel is Christocentric, but Christocentricity is bigger than the gospel. So when we talk about Christocentric, I'm talking about the gospel plus. Discipleship, the gospel plus spiritual formation. I'm, 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 I'm talking about the gospel plus Christology. So I'm, I'm making it a bigger deal. Sure. Um, and and I know where people are coming from. The, the, the whole idea of a gospel-centered preaching is is a reaction to um, uh, preaching that was so shallow and so. A void of any mention of Christ and mm-hmm. ignored clear Christocentric references, you know, yeah. and in the Old and New Testament. And you're like, well, wait a minute, what are you preaching? What are you preaching? Yeah. I mean, if you're not preaching Christ. So, but it also can become so rigid that, you know, you're forcing the gospel into every text. And the God, the God, the, 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 not every text has the gospel. And mm-hmm. so if you're being, if you're being faithful to the text, there are some texts that are not about the gospel. And then the person might say, well, I want to be more faithful to the gospel than I am to the text. I prefer being more faithful to the text than I am to the gospel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think that the gospel's in a lot more texts right. than people realize. And then, and then in, in even, even in the interest of preaching the text, you know, there's in, – in most texts, there's a single – 
verbal idea. Mm-hmm. You know, so if we're, if we're talking about what's the main point of this text, mm-hmm. um, you know, usually you can you can nail that down pretty pretty close, but um, but but there's all sorts of supporting points and there's all sorts of uh, circumstantial data in the text right. that's also biblical and wonderful. Yeah. And so, f- for for example, we've already preached through chapter four, verse one, you know, we, we, we had a sermon on that already, but I know, cause I know we've talked before. <laughs> I know this, this Sunday, you're going to be back in chapter four, verse one, <laughs> exactly. pulling out some new <laughs> insights right. because, you know, so have we, are we betraying the main point of the text? Is that some bad, dangerous right. thing? Well, right. no, it's, we're looking at a, di- we're, we're looking at it from a little bit of a different perspective right. and we're trying to learn from it all that God has to reveal to us. Yeah. And this is one of the great, uh, great things about the text being inspired to the word and not just to the big idea. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not just the main point of the text that's inspired. It's, it's, this, it's all the word of God. It's yes. all useful. Yeah. Um, and, and the gospels themselves provide a good illustration of this. Matthew has a different perspective than Mark, mm-hmm. than Luke, yeah. than John. And in not every story, but there's a number of stories that are told in all four Gospels, or there are a number of accounts that are told in all four Gospels. And it's fascinating to compare them. Usually Matthew and Mark are pretty close, but Luke sometimes diverges a little bit. He has a different perspective. Right. And then John almost sometimes has you're like wondering, are, are you talking about the same event? Because the kind of thing, <laughs> things you're writing are so different. Yeah. But all that is is just revealing perspective. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so just like the gospel writers looked at the life of Jesus and looked at this account in the life of Jesus and described it in different ways and drew out different things, so you and I, as two different preachers, look at the same text and the Holy Spirit points out, draws out different things, not, not different interpretations as much as different nuances or different, um, you know, so if you were to type in, for instance, a sermon on Luke 4, 14, you'd get all kinds of different sermons. I mean, I mean, there wouldn't be too divergent, but, uh, and you might even find a mother's day sermon, you know, Mm -hmm. preached by Jim Minling. I don't think you'd find anybody else doing a Mother's Day sermon on that, but but I did. Yeah. And honestly, I'll, I'll also admit, if it, wasn't, if it um, hadn't have been Mother's Day, I probably wouldn't have preached what I preached this past Sunday. Right. Um, I allowed a national holiday to, and to shape some of my preaching, and I'm fully willing to admit that. I, I know there are some preachers that would not do that. Who cares that it's Mother's Day? It's a it's a Hallmark holiday. We shouldn't be. And I'm like, okay, fine. You know, it's. But if if everybody's thinking about it, why not address it? Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, so I I've chosen to do that. And yeah. and if you listen to my preaching on a yearly basis, you'll recognize that there's a lot of holidays that I don't mention. You know, or that I don't refer to. And there's a lot of special days that I don't refer to. Um, so. Um, it's just a, it's just a, a choice that I've made, sure. and um, uh, and so you you refer to Mark, to Luke chapter four verse one. I am I'm writing that sermon right now and just loving. I'm so excited because I've been <laughs> been I've been knowing that I'm going to do this because yeah. I'm convinced that Luke 
uh, is strategically writing, and he's trying to help us introduce us to not only the ministry of Jesus, but the you know the power of Jesus's ministry by by keep talking about the Spirit, and that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to talk about this Sunday. And, and, oh, uh, so we're going to start at Luke four fourteen. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and then I'm going to say, but we're not going to get to that phrase in the power of the Spirit for another two weeks, yeah, yeah. because we're going to go back to Luke four one and explore you know this phrase that's just so rich and Jesus full of the spirit. Oh, that's just, there's so much there. Mm -hmm. You know me, I could preach a whole series (laughs) on that phrase. And, uh, but that's only because the Bible is Mm -hmm. so rich about the filling of the spirit. Absolutely. And since our big passion here at open door, and I think Luke's big passion in writing to Theophilus, in this prologue is Luke is all about discipleship. And mm-hmm. so I think Luke is wanting, is wanting us to know, Hey, all this stuff that we're going to be talking about discipleship and how it's following Jesus. Understand from the get go, Jesus himself was full of the Holy spirit. Yeah. And so you have got to be, so let me, let me show you how the spirit's working in Jesus life. Yeah. Woo, and it's, man, that's exciting. Oh, man. I, <laughs> we're going to, we'll probably, well, I, well, there'll be plenty to talk about next week. I'm sure. There will be, although I'm slowing way down, you know, it's like doing one whole sermon on the filling and then the Mm -hmm. next week, one whole sermon on the next phrase and led by the spirit. Right. But, you know, but my guess is you probably won't like present a chiasm of Luke acts showing the ministry of the spirit and how the hand will have time for that. No, no. (laughs) I mean, I'm already cutting stuff out though. I believe it. And I, I'll say it this way. The, 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 one hour that we had in my biblical theology class on the ministry of the spirit. What? I one just, hour. It blew my mind. <laughs> it. Yeah, we might have had more than one hour. We had a we had a, a small unit on it, so it was probably more than one hour. Wow! But it was it was you know we're going through all these different you know crazy but, but you know what that is I'm, i guess i'm not surprised even though that's taylor and i'm a fan of taylor university mm-hmm. and i think you got a great education at taylor uh that doesn't surprise me because by and large the holy spirit gets crumbs in terms of the amount of ink spilled in his name versus the second person of the trinity and the first person of the trinity mm, yeah. and i said it that way because i want to make a comparison the holy spirit's not just the Holy Spirit. He is the third person of the Trinity. Yeah. And therefore, you would think there'd be equal time between the first person of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity, and the third person of the Trinity. But no, mm. that is not the case at all. It'd be uh, interesting to do a word count on the document that we've been working on. And see. <laughs> uh, but that, that's, that's some inside baseball right there. Right. You'll, yeah. pe- people will hear about it starting Sunday, though. Yeah. Um, so we're we're talking about um, how, how Jesus is coming home, and, and there's another comment that you made in the course of talking about Jesus's upbringing, Jesus's parents, mm-hmm. um, and you talked about uh, how Joseph might you know, almost certainly was not around right right at at age thirty when Jesus is coming back in town, mm-hmm. you know, even though his name uh, is mentioned in our text, but Mary's isn't. So help us to see how is it that we know that Jesus spent some time with a one-parent home. Yeah. 
Yeah, in fact, I actually said that it's 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 a very probable that Jesus was raised for some time as a single parent in a single parent home, mm-hmm. um, and I can't prove that from the text. But but here is here is the, the stuff that I would use to make that argument is in, in Luke two forty two, we um, we see Jesus with Joseph and Mary going from Nazareth to Jerusalem and then back to Nazareth. And then uh, there's silence about Joseph and Mary until we get to these texts here where we uh, see Nazareth being mentioned. Uh, and, and in our text, Mary's not mentioned, but like we said in Matthew 13, Mary is mentioned. And so the way that, that, that Joseph is talked about um, is it, it just it's a strain it's strange mm-hmm. uh there there is accounts of jesus talking with mary like in john chapter 2 literally the the first story which by the way here's another cutting room floor thing i just remember i left out and that is comparing the way uh matthew mark luke and john all the first story they tell of jesus ministry mm-hmm. for matthew and mark they start off with jesus preaching, preaching the yeah. gospel mm-hmm. and then immediately calling the disciples immediately yeah. Whereas with Luke, you get, you know, a little more uh, uh, stories going on and you get you get actually get Jesus uh, preaching in Nazareth before he's called any disciple. You know, mm-hmm. no disciple gets literally called until Luke five. And whereas John has disciples getting called in John one. But the first ministry scene is the wedding at Cana. So and the wedding at Cana doesn't show up in Matthew, Mark or Luke. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, they just chose different places to launch Jesus's first ministry picture. Yeah. And so uh, in, in, in none of those gospels, do we see any uh, mention of Joseph in a contemporary way? So again, in John two, Mary and Jesus are having a dialogue about the wine, you know, and in Matthew, Mark and Luke, there's interactions between Jesus and his brothers and Jesus and his mother. Sometimes it's, it's just called Jesus and his mother. Sometimes it's called Jesus and Mary. But there's there's zero interactions between Jesus and Joseph hmm. after Luke chapter two. And so that is an argument from silence uh, because it's possible that Joseph could be alive. Sure, it's possible, yeah, um, but highly unlikely. And so, for you know, really, since the beginning of people studying the New Testament, they've assumed from the lack of mention of Joseph as in a contemporary way that he is not a contemporary; he's died. Um, and of course, you could also make the assumption that he defected from the faith. Uh, hmm. There's no, there's That's interesting. You know, there's no support for that whatsoever. Um, in fact, the Bible says Joseph was a righteous man. So, you know, but you could say, since the Bible doesn't tell us what happened to Joseph, well, I suppose he could have defected, you know, mm. but more than likely he died. So um, Luke 2.42 is the last time Luke mentions Jesus and Joseph in a contemporary, you know, talking to each other yeah. interaction. Then then the next time we hear about uh, Jesus, and he's 12 years old, it says, then in Luke 3.23, it says, and Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Well, okay, immediately I'm thinking there's an 18-year gap. Okay, so Jesus stayed in Nazareth. And he's doing carpentry work. He's doing tecton work, stonemason and mm-hmm. wood. 
Um, he's not, the, the, the Bible is clear. He's not in Jerusalem. He's not in, uh, um, you know, uh, Bethsaida. He's in Nazareth. Right. So Jesus is in Nazareth until Luke 3.23, where it says he was about 30 years old. So Jesus is in Nazareth with Mary until he's 30. Yeah. And then you add that to the fact that, that um, Joseph is not mentioned. So somewhere between age 12 and age 30... Jesus living in Nazareth is only living with Mary. Yeah. Did it happen when Jesus was 13 or did it happen when Jesus was 29? I don't know, but somewhere between 12 and 30, Jesus mm-hmm. is living in Nazareth. And and you say, well, how do we know he's living with his mother? Well, because that's the way people lived. You you mm-hmm. did your carpentry work out of your home. Yeah, this is the this is exactly where I was headed in my mind. Okay, yeah. So I mean, we've dug up uh, archaeological digs, and this is this is where people they didn't go to an office to mm-hmm. do their job. They worked most of their jobs. I suppose there's some people that left home. You couldn't fish out of your home, could you? So, <laughs> um, uh, so you know, but but most jobs, yeah. especially like cobblers and carpenters and tech. Mm-hmm. They they did their job out of their home. Yeah, and so Jesus is carrying on the carpentry work of his father. And furthermore, you were obligated by Old Testament law to take care of your mother if your father died. So Jesus is supporting Mary. That he's doing his biblical due diligence as a good son, and he's he's taking care of his mother. Uh, which, which you see a, a window of when Jesus does die, what does he say about his mother? He says to John, the, the beloved, take, you know, here's your mother. Take care of my mom. Jesus is acting like a good older brother. Mm. I keep the Old Testament law. I take care of my mom if my dad dies. And now that I'm dying, yeah. I'm passing that on to somebody else. I'm making sure my mom is taken care of. Yeah. And so, you know, those are the kinds of hints that help us see. Yeah, it's it's not 100% provable, but you look at culture, you look at Old Testament history, you look at Jewish history, you look at Old Testament law, and you piece these things together. And yes, Jesus is taking care of his mother. He's living in the same home, which is a tecton home, a carpentry home, until he's 30. Now he's leaving home to go in the ministry. And now in Luke 4, he's returning to that home. That's mom. Absolutely, yeah, and and uh, and and furthermore, I mean, just to agree uh, that that I, I I've heard some people say, well, yeah, but if if Joseph died at thirteen, uh, or if Joseph died when Jesus was thirteen, isn't that when Jewish boys made the transi- tra- transition into manhood? Mm-hmm. The answer is, well, yes. Yeah. However. Uh, they had a different kind of relationship, like you've said, with their immediate family and with their extended family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they showed it a different kind of deference, I think, uh, to their um, to the generations that came before them and to their parents. And, and so, uh, you know, uh, actually, you know, you could make and what, what you just said prompted a thought. I, I, I forgot about the, the the age of 13. That argues for a, a, a death of Jesus, a um, death of Joseph to be younger. Mm. Because if Joseph did not die until Jesus was 29, um, it's, it's, it is highly likely that Jesus would have moved out. Uh, he, he probably oh, wouldn't have stayed in the, his father's home until age 30. And he may have moved to a different town um, to, to ply his trade because you got his dad's carpentry business and now his carpentry's business. 
mm-hmm. you know, the, the fact that he was doing the carpentry work just almost 100% proves that Joseph died when Jesus was young. And that's why he's still in Nazareth. Yeah, yeah, like taking over that. Taking over the father's business. Interesting, yeah. And, instead of being in competition with his father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and so. it's not like Jesus, because it was also customary to build onto your parents' home mm-hmm. in, in some places. Yeah. Uh, if, if, but that's, that's if you got married and where you would go and prepare the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's language that Jesus, is, Jesus right. uses about you know, bringing us to the father's house in heaven. Um, but Jesus you know, didn't get married. And so he would not have built on, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how I'm not an expert in Jewish culture, uh, to that extent, but yeah, that is really interesting to think about. But, mm-hmm. um, in, in any case, um, I, I did really love both of the, the concepts of Mary, um, set, you know, having this strong custom of, you know, mm. with, along with Joseph when Jesus was young, but mm-hmm. also that she presumably continues mm-hmm. of following the Jewish law of, of following to steal our language from a couple months ago, God's parenting plan. Mm-hmm. And that, um, and, and I, I, th- I, th- I do, it is kind of interesting to think about Jesus getting things from Mary, mm-hmm. but I don't think it should be. So, but maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe I can turn this into a question. Yeah. Is it irreverent to say that Jesus learned from Mary or, or not versus learning from the, him studying the Bible himself? Yeah. Or, or like directly from the father or things yeah. like that. Yeah. I, I don't think it's irreverent at all because God created mothers mm-hmm. and God created mothers and fathers to be the ones that pass on the faith. Yeah. So why? Would he choose these righteous people, Joseph and Mary, but then say, I don't want you to teach your, your, your son, Jesus. I'll take care of all that. No, Jesus is, God is choosing the very familiar structures that he created mm-hmm. to model, I believe, this is what I've always intended. Mom and dad, it's all over the Old Testament. Pass this on to the next generation. And see, Jesus is always the example of how Israel has failed in every way. And we just talked about it in the, the whole um, temptation uh, stories. Mm-hmm. Jesus is a picture of Israel yeah. being tempted in the wilderness, but not failing. Jesus is a picture of being in the desert where manna is there, but Jesus doesn't need that manna. He feeds on the word of God. You know, in, in every way, Jesus is fulfilling all the places where Israel failed. Well, Israel failed. We just read this in our devotions. A generation grew up that did not yeah, follow did not. The, mm-hmm. the teachings of Joshua. Uh, so, you know, in every ways that the Israel failed, including fathers and mothers failing to pass on the laws, the customs, the teaching of the Old Testament, Jesus' life, you know, fulfilled that and and completed that. Mm. And so I, it's, that's based upon that. I've never made this argument before until just this moment. Uh, my guess is Jesus' family did um, continue those traditions and those customs because Luke goes out of his way to record it in gospel in chapter two. Mm, you know, yeah. why does he go out of his way to show us that, that Jesus and that Joseph and Mary were following the custom of the law, Absolutely. following the, as the law says over and over again, Luke repeats that he's trying to paint a picture of the faithfulness of Joseph and Mary mm-hmm. 
to pass on to the next generation. Yeah. So every indicator to me is that that Mary and Joseph were fulfilling God's family plan, God's parenting plan, and that just like Paul gives us that same window into the life of Timothy, think of think of Second Timothy. Compare Second Timothy chapter one, verses three and four to Acts chapter 16. So Acts chapter 16 says that, Jesus, that, that Paul, I'm going to put this from memory, Paul left Derby and went to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy was there. Mm-hmm. And then it says, um, now Timothy, uh, uh, his mother was uh, a Jewess and a believer and his father was a Greek. And so we're introduced to the fact that, that Timothy is uh, has a Greek father, a Jewish mother. Okay, that's all we know. Then mm-hmm. we get to Second Timothy, yeah, yeah. and we add that. And Paul says, "Just as you, as you learned from infancy the Scriptures." Yep. Now, whenever we see the word Scriptures in the New Testament, it's probably a reference to the Old Testament. So, and Paul says that from your inf- infancy you learned the Scriptures. He's giving us a window into the Jewish childhood of Timothy who grew up with a mother teaching him the scriptures. It's mm-hmm. so beautiful. Yeah. And and yet it's it's probably not unusual because that's the way godly people lived. Uh, now, not every Jewish family lived that way, but the godly ones did. And we know that Joseph and Mary were godly. Luke's gone out of his way. So back now to Luke. Every indication is that Mary is fulfilling God's parenting plan, teaching Jesus the scriptures. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so back to the to the word irreverent. I don't see it as uh, irreverent to imagine that Jesus l- learned from his mother instead mm-hmm. of from God the Father or instead of the Holy Spirit. No, God uses just like He's doing in this. this there's a person in the earth, in the earth named Arden Wright, mm-hmm. and God is speaking through to Arden through a person named Clay and a person named Joy. Right. That's how God has designed for Arden to learn the truth, you yeah, know? Absolutely. So I think Jesus was the same way. Yeah, I, I think so too. And this is also, I have a memory of hearing hearing from professors talking about how Jesus's teaching was unique, but it, it wasn't didn't come out of a vacuum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I and maybe you you probably know more about this than me, but I, I so I've not personally read other first century rabbis. I have, yeah. But my part of the reason I haven't is because I'm afraid to do it because <laughs> uh, supposedly they sound in some ways like Jesus. But you've read um, you've read um, Jesus Creed. I have read it, and the there's Jesus some quotes Creed. in the mm-hmm. Jesus Creed. Um, the, for instance, love love God and love your neighbor. That's not yeah. unique to Jesus. Yeah. It's like, oh, really? Mm-hmm. You know, that was such a great succinct. Yes, it is, but Jesus wasn't the first person to say that. You know? Right, and, and so I think, and this even again goes back to that idea of like, how do you understand what's being posited in the scriptures? Mm-hmm. Is it? recording something that actually happened like jesus is a real person who existed who had all the you know there's all all these real life things happening like other teachers you know did jesus potentially hear someone else talking about that and say you know what that's absolutely the heart of the father yeah yeah um 
it's it, it kind of can seem that way. I mean, we do know that Jesus did not go into rabbi school right. at age 12. Um, he went into the vocational mm-hmm. uh, route. And we know that because this very passage says, you know, where did he get this wisdom? You know, where did he get this learning? Mm-hmm. He didn't grow up in the rabbi's uh, educational system. Right. Uh, and then it tells us that he was a tecton. So yeah. he went vocational route. Right. Um, so, so even though Jesus did learn the scriptures from his mom and dad, like like any good Jewish home, and in, even though he did learn the scriptures by going to synagogue as a custom, mm-hmm. um, uh, I am sure that Jesus heard other teaching. Uh, but just let's just say just synagogue every Saturday for thirty years. Yeah. He attended synagogue yeah. and heard the scriptures read mm-hmm. and heard the scriptures exposited. So, you know, it's it, as his custom, he, he didn't skip to watch a football game or to sleep in, you know. So, so that's a lot of teaching. 30 years of every week hearing the scriptures read right. and exposited in a synagogue. That's a lot of teaching. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so I don't think. You know, I I even want to argue against my own discomfort with some of those similarities. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it does not make Jesus's teaching any less the Word of God. No, for for him to to be um, sort of incorporating some other things that were said at that time. Here's another another indication. Remember how many times Jesus said, "You have heard that it was said." Mm-hmm. Okay, what he's doing is he's quote he's referring to how most expositors quoted yeah, other rabbis yeah. where did jesus hear what others had said because he heard teaching <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so maybe that get, gets us to a, a new point and maybe we can wrap up on this uh-huh. which is um that which is the point i actually started with before we got on this uh side side road but um mary is setting this habit of the home mm-hmm. and, and specifically the one that you you dwelt on is the habit of being in synagogue every week on Saturday and the, and the, the influence that that can have over the course of time. Um, it's, it's funny being a pastor and talking about church because my, one of my biggest fears is that people will, will think that it, it will come off to people as being self-serving. Yeah. Uh, I struggle with that in evangelism. <laughs> hey, yeah. come to come to church and, and hear me preach. Right. It's like, oh man. <laughs> so, you know, why and and maybe this is uh, I mean, I think this is what we're talking about. Why why is it that well, first of all, maybe from a from an exegetical perspective, why is going to synagogue in the first century similar to us attending church on Sundays? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh and then and then maybe beyond that, why is that so, why is that worth the risk of sounding self-serving? You know, why, why is that so important for us to, to not let go of that? Yeah. Well, I'm, I am going to steal a little bit from some things that, is, that either I or somebody else, whoever preaches, uh, I think it's, um, I, I, I can't remember the preaching calendar, but when we get into um, uh, the actual sermon that Jesus or the actual reading from Isaiah 61, mm-hmm. uh, uh, either I or I hope the preacher that preaches this will help us walk through what is a typical synagogue service like. Mm. And so, you know, we know from tons of, of Jewish writing, you know, all the structure of a uh, Jewish synagogue service. And I, and I may have referred to this recently I, I, somewhere. I can't remember now. Um, 
that it's a ton of, we call it tefillim, tons of prayers that they were the same prayers they repeated week after week mm-hmm. after week after week. And, uh, and then there was scriptures that were read. And then there were uh, other prayers that were then prayed. Again, repetitive prayers. Um, and then there's a short exposition. And that's it. You know, there, there, there isn't any indication of singing until until after the first century, hmm. uh, which is I think interesting. Yeah. But so when you when you look at the the ancient synagogue services, and then you compare the early Christians, you know they drew language from synagogue, they drew language from the Jewish faith, and they drew practices from the Jewish faith. And so, um, some people are surprised to hear that there's every indication that the early disciples went to to church on Sunday and synagogue on Saturday. They mm-hmm. didn't replace Sunday with, they didn't replace synagogue with church. Right. They did both because it never occurred to them that I'm leaving my Jewish faith. Mm-hmm. You know, they, the Christianity, or which wasn't called Christianity then, but following Jesus was the full, you know, full flowering was the climax of the Jewish faith. Jesus mm-hmm. was Jewish. Yeah. And so... Um, so w- what that is simply illustrating for us is the faithfulness of the people of God. You gather, which was what the word synagogue means, means mm-hmm. to gather together. Yeah, you, you do because God commanded the gathering. And so now that I'm a follower of Jesus, Jesus went to the synagogue customarily, as it was his custom. So if I'm following Jesus, who went to synagogue, why would I stop going to synagogue? You know? And so, you know, there's no indication whatsoever that the early Christians stopped going to synagogue. Uh, in fact, you read in the book of Acts, and there's stories of synagogue leaders and, yep. and Cornelius' work within a synagogue and things like that. So, um, so it just, it's just a, a time as time passed, and especially as the, the Christianity grew beyond Jewish outposts, um, you know, there's no reason to keep going to synagogue because there's no Jewish community here. Um, whenever there was 10 families, or sometimes they say 10 males in a, in a city, that is the basis for forming a synagogue. Hmm. When you have 10 families, now you can, without 10, you're not allowed to form a synagogue. So there are, you know, plenty of, as the diaspora spread out, you know, there are plenty of communities that didn't have enough families to have a synagogue, but there's Christians there, so, you know, they worship on Resurrection Day, on Sunday. And since they've taken so much from the Jewish faith, again, el- the language of elders, mm-hmm. uh, the, the prayers, the scripture, you know, why not take the structure that, from the synagogue as well? So um, the reason why we have Bible reading and preaching in a Christian service is because we had Bible reading and preaching, teaching in the synagogue. Yeah. And so, uh, again, after the first century, then you started seeing singing happening in the synagogue as well. And so, you know, Christianity is a Jewish faith. Takes took a lot of things from the Jewish faith. So was was there singing in the early churches before there was singing in the early synagogues? Then, because because my impression Probably. is that singing was a very early. Yeah, well, it's in, you see it in Ephesians five. Yeah, um, and we think there's a, a number of different things we we would like. We think of Philippians two is an early Christian hymn. Right. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, the the singing was uh, the joy. 
the, there was so much joy in the early mm. church. And when you feel joy, you sing. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just, a, it's, yeah. it's just a natural thing. You, right. When you're hungry, you eat. When you feel joy, you sing. Mm. And so, you know, when you read the New Testament, there's just joy, especially the earlier the, 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 the text, you know, the, or the earlier the, the descriptions, like the early book of Acts. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Joy, 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 joy. So, yeah, let's sing. You know? <laughs> Although it's funny, you, you, you know, the, the first description of a Christian service in Acts 2.42 mm. does not mention singing. Yeah, that's true. Uh, oddly enough. That's true. Uh, yeah. So then, so then, um, what? Sort of that second half of that question: Why gather, other than the fact that it's tradition, mm-hmm. which is you know, hey, maybe that's reason enough. But I know that there's more. Well, I mean, there is the command in Hebrews: "Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together." And mm-hmm. now that you know that the word synagogue means to gather together, it's like, oh, it's a play on words. Yep. You know, so um, yeah, we're commanded to to gather together. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, like first Corinthians 16, Paul says, when you get together on the first Sunday, the first day of the week. So he's already recognizing that pattern is happening. So, yeah, you know, contrary to what some people believe, tradition is not a bad word. Mm -hmm. Uh, Traditionalism is bad. That means you have elevated a tradition to some holy position. And now you're only doing tradition for tradition's sake. Mm. But tradition all by itself is not a bad thing you know um there's a there's a ton of things that we do that are traditional yeah you know yeah. um but it's gotten a bad rap uh, so yeah so i think it's a just good enough argument why do we have church on sunday you know, because we we were we were gathering together to celebrate the resurrection of jesus and we never stopped and we never stopped and it became <laughs> it became a tradition yeah. Yeah. And, and why would we stop celebrating the resurrection of jesus it's mm-hmm. resurrection day yeah. you yeah. know it's so funny when I hear people um, who are sort of, they're struggling with this idea or they're like, man, I don't know. Is it really that important? I it, It's as with many things in the Bible, it's like, well, you know, maybe you don't have to gather on Sunday, but if we're going to get really like, if we want to go back to the book of Acts, then we should probably be gathering every day, yeah. you know, including Sunday. So maybe start with Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then if... <laughs> You know, if you want to get real biblical, then we'll add days, you know, after that. But And, and let's not forget the the, the command in, in Hebrews, um, yes. is it Hebrews uh, yeah. 10? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a suggestion. Right, uh, right, for sure, for sure. And, and I also, I, I rem- I'm remembering something you said in your sermon that I, I really appreciated. You said, you, you shouldn't come to church on Sunday hoping that I'm going to do a good job, speaking of yourself or mm. speaking of any preacher. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I can't remember what the follow-up to that was, but I'm sure it was something along the lines of our hope in gathering is that God is going to be present with us yeah. and that he is going to be teaching. Right. And uh, the, the point was that Jesus is not coming necessarily because he has some lack or some dearth yeah. you know, of understanding, even if he did, quote-unquote, yeah. learn something from from his time in the synagogues. Yeah, I think I think I left out in one service in one one of the services the comment about how hard it must have been for Jesus to go to synagogue yeah. and hear the Bible exposited poorly mm-hmm. or in some cases inaccurately. Yeah. You know, uh come on, that had to be hard for him. <laughs> Actually, guys, that's not how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that wasn't the mm-hmm. point. <laughs> and yet, you know, we don't you know, I, I I also can't imagine Jesus getting up and storming out. Mm. You know, because he's 
um, he's patient and he's there and he, he, you know, he's, he recognizes the the value of the community. Yeah. Jesus probably sat through a ton of very boring synagogue services where yeah. the, the rabbi droned on and on or the prayers droned on and on. And I think that's one of the reasons why people were so captivated because he was so different from mm-hmm. all the other teachers. Yeah. Gives you the impression that the rest of the teachers were pretty boring. <laughs> You know, and all of a sudden, this guy, whoa, you know, yeah, I mean, he, yeah. he, he's, his teaching is just fascinating, mm-hmm. you know. Well, that implies that the other teachers weren't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I, I think that's, on, on that note, we'll probably wrap it up. We've been going for a little while here, but. Which is unusual. Usually we only have a couple things to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, this is, uh, this week again is one of those weeks. Oh, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> and then here here we are. It's yeah. you know an hour and however long later. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I will say uh, just in closing, once again, uh, we we really enjoy doing this. We really enjoy having these conversations, and we're hoping that you enjoy it, it as well. And uh, if if there's any way that we can bring you into the conversation more as a listener, we, we want to do that. So the, the avenue that we've tried to create is we've set up an email that you can uh, use to communicate with us your own questions or your own responses to the sermon, uh, things that you want to hear more about. And so that email is podcast at opendoor.tv. Again, that's that's not something that Jim and I used to email each other. That's just for you to <laughs> to reach out to us. Right. Uh, and then if you're if you're enjoying um, this this ministry and this time that we have in this conversation, leaving us a, a you know a five star review and uh, and some comments below, it 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 only uh, helps us to expand the conversation to more and more folks. So um, feel free to do that if you feel so led and. Uh, we will continue the conversation next week back in Luke 4 1. Pick up some more pieces. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.